for us, it has to be a very particular one because of bi the bilingual situation, you know, and uh, that we need to uh, have the curriculum in both languages mm -hmm, and to impart education in both languages. Now, not everybody is willing to learn Guarani, for example, but uh, because they always... Uh, People thinking, what am I going to do with this? It's all only useful here in Paraguay. So that's a, another topic in, in Paraguayan education. Is Guarani actually helping or is an interruption to the Spanish education? Welcome to Language and Culture with Dr. J. We are in season four, dedicated to interviews conducted about Latin America. As you already know, this season's episodes in Spanish are with Argentinians and the episodes in English with Latin Americans living abroad. Real quick, my little blurb about where you can find more information about me. If you'd like to find out more about the podcast, my guests, my books, and me, please visit culturium.com, that's C-U-L-T-U-R-E-U-M.com, or my Instagram pages at drjpodcast and at quadil, Q-U-A-D-Y-L-L-E. -L -L -E. This episode is entitled A Paraguayan Living in Germany via Spain. And my guest today is Analia Lenguasa Huyon, Analia and I met in the United States while we were students at the University of Kansas. Analia is from Paraguay. She is married to Pedro, who is from Spain, and they live in Frankfurt, Germany, together with their two daughters. Welcome, Analia, to the podcast. Hola, Andriette. Hola, people. <laughs> nice to be with you. It's great to have you. So when I was I was thinking about how to set up the interview, and I thought, well, it's been such a long time since we've spoken. It's been such a long time since we uh, hung out at Dos Hombres and Coco Loco uh, since we were together in, in, in Lawrence. And I thought, you know what, let's just dive right into the middle, which is our time together in Lawrence. And I wanted to ask you about those times. So for me, for about four to five years, while finishing up my master's and my PhD, my social life basically centered around Latin Americans and their activities, right? So I just did everything with this group. And there was a substantial group of Latin Americans in, in Lawrence, Kansas at the time. Um, would you mind going back to those times and Let's be, let's, let's, you know, go down nostalgia lane and, and see what we can remember. And, and, and how do you feel about those times? What, what comes to mind? Well, actually it has been a long, long time. And I'm glad we still keep in touch. We have a lot to catch up with. And well, it wasn't all about <laughs> getting together, partying. It was a lot about studying too. But of course we remember more the, the fun part, right? Well, for me, yeah. you know, for me, I, I don't know anything about the Latin American studying, right? So, so I, <laughs> I hung out for the dinners and the parillas and the dancing and the... <laughs> right, right. But uh, yeah, 
those are very good memories and getting together with people and sharing experiences and backing up, you know, each other, because it's hard to be away. At least for me, it was really hard because uh, it was the first time I, I left far away from my parents to be there. And it was very nice to find this group of Latin people uh, who you knew you'd be there if you needed some help or if you have any doubts about things and, you know, just helping each other out. And so, so you left. So I actually don't know the background at all. How did you end up in Kansas or how did you decide to study abroad in the first place? Because of a scholarship. And yes, I went from Paraguay to Kansas, which is funny, but uh, I was very lucky indeed because among all, all these Latin uh, American people, I found my husband later. <laughs> That's right. We'll, we'll get to that. So that's, that's already the title explained. So, right, a Paraguayan living in Germany via Spain. The via Spain is that your husband is Spanish and he was part of this group. He was a good friend of mine as well. He lived together with all these guys that I was very close to, very close friends to with Valerio and Pedro and Pepe and, 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 uh, and Carlos. Um, but, but we'll get to that in, in, in one second. Let, would you mind just telling us a little bit how, how did you decide to study abroad at all to, to go away to, to college in the U.S.? Well, I've been born and raised in Paraguay, so I was very interested in learning other languages, and I started with English. So that's the way it all started. And I started there in Paraguay and I got my bachelor degree and I decided, well, for a master's degree, probably it'll be interesting for me uh, to look for places where to go and uh, do a master's degree. And that's the way I start searching. And I came up with this partnership with Kansas and Paraguay. And I applied and luckily uh, I was one of the... Okay. When the candidates accepted. Yeah. What, exactly. did you what did you study? I did a master in education and I also did a ESL, English as a second language, together with. So uh, it took me three years. It took me longer than I thought, but it was good too. So I, I get uh, to work a little bit and to get more experience with the field. Mm -hmm. And so you say when you arrived, it was really uh, nice for you to be welcomed by all the Latinos, if I may say Latinos, you know, I don't know, that's a, that's a term that's sometimes frowned upon, but all the Latin Americans. Try to sort of, for me and for the listeners, how do we imagine this? So you arrive, who picked you up at the airport? Or did you come into contact with the Latin Americans right away? Or was there some sort of contact even maybe before you left Paraguay or... It was at the dorms, actually. Uh, I went to the dorms, and uh, at the dorms, they have a very nice group already. And I remember we used to get together at the cafeteria because we all have different schedules at university. So the cafeteria was the meeting point, and uh, we see each other and sit together and talk about how our day was at night or for lunch, uh, what our schedule was, plans, and things like that. And we used to plan our week. Too. <laughs> of course. What do you remember what dorm it was? It was McCollum. Mm -hmm. You were at McCollum. So for those for those listeners who don't know, this is one of the bigger dorms. Uh, and it's in the row of dorms, right? I was at, at Oliver Hall. So that's down mm -hmm. the hill a little bit and it's alone, right? Mm -hmm. So 
that McCullum yes. is in this row of, of dorms mm -hmm. that are all together. And it's McCullum is one of the bigger ones. So were there other Paraguayans there? No, uh, oh, no, 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 wait just a second. At the dorms, I was the only Paraguayan, but there were other Paraguayans at the university studying different uh, things. Mm -hmm. And so where were the, the Latin Americans from at the dorms? The first time I encountered the at the dorms was because of the floor meeting. And <laughs> they started, yes, we gather all together since we are all new there in the floor. And they start introducing themselves and then they start saying where they come from and what languages they speak. And then you make the connection, right? I speak Spanish too. I come from Spain and things like that, all from Paraguay. Mm -hmm. but so that was the first contact. But do you remember, were they from Spain? Do you remember what other countries were there? Like where they were from? What other countries uh, they were from? Mostly, it was uh, mostly from Spain, but also there were girls from Mexico and there were girls from Bolivia and the boys mostly from Spain, mm -hmm, what I remember. What you remember, okay. And so, so now you've never, you at this point, you've never left Paraguay and here you are in the United States and there are all these Spanish and Mexicans and Bolivians and then you. How do you relate to them initially? So, so there's obviously the common ground is, is Spanish, right? So, so right. I think it's just, you know, what I try to focus on with the podcast are the things that unite us, but also the nuances, you know, of our culture. So what were the things that sort of, if you can remember, this is a long time ago, right? This is in our 20s and we're no longer in our 20s. <laughs> Neither one of us, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what do you remember um, being different, if, if you can? Sort of, you know, you connect on this level of Spanish and you're all speaking Spanish, which is a lot easier at this point because otherwise it's everybody's American. What, what, what do you connect? What basis do you connect on? And what are the nuances that you notice? The connection is, as you said, the language is the first connection. Now, um, we have little differences sometimes with words or expressions uh, that we have. For me, particularly, because I'm Paraguayan, we're a bilingual country. So if I... If I'll be with another Paraguayan, probably we could speak Guarani, not, not for others to understand. But in this case, at the dorms, I was the Paraguayan. So Spanish was the common language. And um, the first thing is that uh, Latin people, we are very talkative. So we want to make a connection and we want to, we have this sense of community. Okay, so making a conversation is very important and you want to know many things about new people. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing. And, uh, well, <laughs> you know, we are very loud. <laughs> we are very, you, you can imagine, you might say, oh, that's somebody from Latin America because just speaking very loud, even though you don't, you're not speaking Spanish. Uh, well, that, that's a sense of feeling, like feeling uh, within the community, even though you are not in your country. Mm -hmm. and, and so, and, and the differences, the nuances? I'll say that um, the only difference I can, I can think of is just these different little differences in language, probably. But then in general, and I'm speaking more about South America because we're very similar in countries like Argentina, Chile, Bolivia, Uruguay, uh, Brazil, even Brazil. We have very, very similar culture and traditions. Mm -hmm. So 
uh, I don't see much difference except for these little things in the language. Okay, well, that, that's interesting because, you know, I, I just spent, we were in Argentina for, for two months with my husband and our, our three kids. And that's the reason to have this whole season, this whole season of the podcast dedicated to, to Latin America, because while we were in Argentina, I was asking myself all these questions. And one of the things that I was asking myself was, it was so completely different from what I expected. I mean, I, I knew Mexico and I knew Venezuela. Uh, I, not, not that I knew Latin America extensively, but those two countries I feel like I know. And, and, and Mexico, I spent quite a bit of time in and, and Venezuela, I traveled around quite a bit as well. And I expected Argentina to be the same and it's completely different. So it's interesting that, that you say that you see it be similar. Well, that's one thing because I'm from South America. So for, for us, is the Conosur, the Rio de la Plata region. So yeah, we actually come probably, we have the same origins. Maybe it's not the same North and Central America. Even though we're all mestizos, like mixed uh, from European Spanish people and the natives from the, uh, from the place, right? And uh, how did you find Argentina so different? I found Argentina in every sense completely different. So for the first thing, the food was absolutely different. So I didn't, I expected, you know, I expected rice dishes, bean dishes, lots of fruit, lots of, you know, things like that. And it was, it was, uh, it was for me, I, you know, it was a lot of meat. Um, which, okay, you, you have with the parillas as well and the asados, as they call it in, in, in Argentina. But there was a lot of empanadas. There was a lot of, there were these cheeses served with, uh, with the sweets, but it was not at all the same tastes. That's one. Two, the mm -hmm. music. I didn't, you know, I was, I mean, what drew me to you guys in the first place was the salsa and the merengue and the cumbia and the, I didn't encounter that in our travels. It's not sort of when you go to Venezuela, you go anywhere and you hear the music and everybody's kind of, you know, it's just kind of in there. I did not have that in Latin America at all. Sorry, in Argentina at all. The architecture as well, sort of a lot of the places where we were, were so much more European than what I had expected. Uh, in Buenos Aires, a lot of parts in uh, Cordoba, a lot of parts. Oh my goodness, Bariloche. Bariloche looks like it's little Switzerland or little, uh, or little yeah. Germany. So, so there were, for me, a lot of differences like that. Argentina was considered once, the, yeah, the little capital, uh, little Europe in South America, yeah. And I don't know in which period you went. Um, well, we have different types of music, of course, but I'm surprised because usually when you go to places, you can hear music. I mean, in Paraguay, for example, you have our traditional music, which is polka, which is the fast uh, rhythm, and the guarana, which is the slow one. But we have also these Latin rhythms, like in Venezuela and, and salsa, merengue. So mm -hmm. tell me about those two. You have, did I understand you right? You have polka. Yes. Uh -huh. Tell me about this. That I did not know this at all. Well, pol polka is polka a tradition. Well, it's called polka paraguaya, and it's okay. part of. Uh, yes, we have traditional dances, of course, and it's always with this uh, uh, 
lawn care and uh, our traditional um, uh, knitting, you know, clothes. And there's one very traditional one in Paraguay that uh, women dance with. Uh, first, you start with a basket on your head. Then you go with a pot and then you go with bottles, glass bottles. And they pile up on your head and you, uh, the women still dance, uh, waving their skirt and everything with the bottles on their head. So that's very traditional in Paraguay. In Paraguay. And which one is that? Which dance is that? The bottle dance, Danza de la Botella. Okay. Okay, uh-huh. and the and the polka paraguaya, how is it different from the 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 Polish polka? Well, the polka paraguaya is with the the harp and the guitars. Uh-huh. So it's danced in couples, uh-huh. and the rhythm is also very lively, very lively rhythm. And well, we have influences, I guess, from Europe too, since Europeans went all the way. All of the course. way there. Uh-huh. Of course. And tell me about the last one. I, I don't know the dance that you mentioned, the last dance that you mentioned. Which one? The Guaranya is a type yeah. of... Oh, no, that's the slow, the slow music in Paraguay. Uh-huh. That is very romantic, very soft. Uh-huh. Is the other side of the, the other side of the coin. Mm-hmm. And how is that danced? It's, it's, it's slow dance. It's like a slow dance. Or it's uh-huh. just and, to... Is also just for listening, but you can slow dance with that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. but it's nice to listen. And so this is also one reason for for the for this season. I have been fascinated. I mean, you know, I was really I gravitated towards the Latin Americans. I really I loved the warmness. I mean, you know that my parents are Hungarian and I was born in Romania. So I I think that it's culturally very similar to Latin America. We, we really are very close with our families. We have very close friendships. We are very loud. So I, I, all of these things, we sing a lot, we dance a lot. So I gravitated towards the Latin Americans. It was just very, I felt very comfortable. But I have to say that I, I'm quite embarrassed uh, in saying that, you know, so you're in college, you have all these things happening, you're studying, you're falling in love, you're, you know, you're, you're making plans. And I never really took the time to find out the differences, right, among all these different Latin American cultures. And that's one of the things that I was, you know, was kind of slapped in the face by that when we went to Argentina. I felt very uncultivated. You know, I felt very sort of, oh, my goodness, I didn't. I was not prepared for it. So that's one of the Mm -hmm. things that, that sort of also prompted this episode. I think a lot of times we feel like we know... And it, it doesn't have to be with Latin America, but we feel like we know a culture. And that's one of my little things right now. You know, we feel like we eat sushi, so we know all about Japan. Or we, you know, we we we've been to we've been to Switzerland once, so we feel like we know Europe. Or in my case, I had gone to uh, Venezuela and Mexico. And I felt I knew Latin America. So, so you know, sort of, and there's just so much more nuance. There's so much more depth. To the, to, the, to the regionalities, not just the national cultures, but the regionalities as well. That's another thing I discovered in Argentina mm-hmm. that every region had its own culture, own traditions, own foods, etc. Food, food is interesting uh-huh, because it's a, you have seen, huh? it's mostly meat. The asado is, uh, is 
the most wanted. <laughs> and uh, also it's very corn-based. And we have the empanadas that we share with Uruguay and Argentina and Chile too. We have certain foods that we share. And there are certain other regions, as you said, that they have their own special uh, way of cooking things or doing new things, you know. And that's one thing. We, in Paraguay, we have a very interesting one that uh, we don't share with anyone. Ah, no, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's the terere, which is a... Actually, it has been declared cultural heritage by UNESCO, UNESCO because um, it's our traditional drink. It's the national drink, which is like a cold tea. We drink it uh, with yerba mate. And yerba mate, you put it in a, in a cup. And the very unusual thing that people that don't uh, expect is that you share, you have a metal straw and you share that with people and you pass it on to each other. But this so, is in Argentina as well. We had mate in Argentina as well, but it was hot. It, it was not cold. That's the difference. We have the mate too, but the mate is the hot version. In Paraguay, and it's going to Argentina to the cold version because we need to hydrate a lot because of the temperatures. And it's also our time to spend with friends and family. We have always an excuse to get together, <laughs> to get together and share this. And I remember at university when the Paraguayans gather, that was very unusual for people to see that we share the same straw going around. And the yerba mate also was French because it, it looks kind of weird if you look at it, you know, like raw. <laughs> so there, uh, there was always someone asking, what is that? <laughs> what are you having? So in Argentina and Uruguay, they have also the mate. We do too. Mm -hmm. So, so how, uh, is that, how does that work? Because how does the tea then, you know, how do the tea leaves uh, release their flavor with, with cold water? It, it's really, uh, the yerba mate is really bitter, but the actual flavor is you have the yarn with water. And we have learned in Paraguay, you have learned a lot from the natives, uh, the Guarani Indians. So uh, we have uh, medicinal plants uh, that you squeeze and put in the water, and then you serve it in, the, in this cup with the straw. Mm -hmm. So at the beginning, of course, uh, when the yerba is new, it's a little bit bitter. It tastes a little bit bitter. But as long as uh, you pour more water and you pass it around, then it gets better. Mm -hmm. So wait, I'm not sure I understood you. So so um, for to drink the 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 Paraguayan mate, do you actually squeeze from a from a from a from a leaf? No, it's just the yerba mate. No, it's just the yerba mate. What you squeeze is the whatever plant, uh, medicinal plant, or if you put, want to put some flavor in in the in the yard with water. Uh -huh. Ah, okay. So, like, like, what would you put? Like aloe vera, or what would you put into it? Uh, you can put mint. You can put lemon. Whatever you might need. If it's refreshing, if it's something for your stomach, if it's something uh, make your 
uh, headache go away. <laughs> okay, so you put the medicinal plants into the water and then you put the water on the yerba mate and then you share the cup around. Exactly, exactly. So the, the episode that's going to air before yours uh, is with a woman named Carol Jones and the episode is in Spanish. So I will just review it just for a second because she has an instancia, a big farm where she has uh, horses, right? And she does these... Uh, big rides out in the wilderness with horses and we took part in that and I find her she's an absolutely fascinating woman she's like a John the female John Wayne <laughs> she's she's an incredible woman so uh, after riding horses in the middle of nowhere in this national park and this is wild riding right because the horses live free in this national park and she only goes and gets them. And sometimes it takes her an hour, an hour and a half to actually find the horses and to bring them back so that people can ride them. But then she does these long rides with you, some, some two, three hours, some a whole day. And we had this one tour booked when we came back afterwards at the end and had, a, had an asado and had drinks and food and everything. And at the end, she found out that we had never had mate. So she, of course, prepared the mate, and that was the first time, you know, unbelievable experience in this cabin in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by this national park, having had this horseback ride, sharing the, this mate was truly spiritual for me as well. It was, it was absolutely beautiful, and she introduced us to that tradition. Of course, we couldn't, because of COVID, we couldn't share the, the mate cup being passed around, so... Each couple had a, each family had a, had a mate, mate cup prepared for, for them. So uh, how, back then I imagine in Lawrence, you were still sharing the mate cups. Yes, we still share it, but also it's just a uh, Paraguayan thing. So you'll, you'll be expected to share it with Paraguayan people. Uh -huh. so, so that's interesting. So did the, so I imagine the Americans didn't share it. Did the Mexicans and the Bolivians and the Spanish? No one, just Paraguayans shared it. Yeah, if they want to try, they, they were welcome. But uh, yeah, just the Paraguayans, because uh, you know what, when you're sharing these same straw, there's always this issue like, is it safe, you know? <laughs> But that's uh, something very South American because it's our excuse, as I said, to get together with the family, have a conversation, have a little time off. It, it's a good, a very good excuse. <laughs> sure. And I mean, you say that there's a lot of uh, influence from the natives, from the Native Americans in living in Paraguay or in different parts of uh, South America. Um, I know that I had a cheese. I wish I knew what it was called uh, in Venezuela. And it was... Milk was put into leaves in the sand, and then it was fermented with spit. Oh, and it's and it's a. Okay. Uh, if anybody out there, Carlos, we already did an interview with the Venezuelan. If anybody knows it there, please comment and let <laughs> us know what this is called, and or correct me if I'm saying it wrong in any way. But I believe this was fermented, and I think it's a Native American uh, tradition, a Native way to prepare the cheese. So my point being that I think saliva and sort of sharing saliva is, a, is not thought of uh, as something disgusting, or it's just, it's just part of, you know, like sweat mm -hmm. or anything, so... Uh -huh. It's for family, friendship, uh -huh. hospitality, being welcome. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Okay. That's what it means. 
Exactly. No, okay. So any any other aspects of Paraguayan culture that you think are um, because just all these things that you brought up are so again this nuance. Any other aspects that you can think of that are just slightly different, slightly unusual to other Latin American countries? Mm, that will be our our native language, Guarani, which is not shared with the other. If, you, if you've been in Brazil, it's more common to see places with Guarani names too. How is that uh, handled in, in, uh, in Paraguay? So Paraguay is a bilingual country. What does that mean uh, concerning Spanish and Guarani? That Guarani is also an official language as Spanish is in Paraguay. And Guarani is taught at schools, okay? It's mostly spoken in the countryside. And in the cities, you expect a mix of it, you know? And it's called Yopara, when you speak Spanish and Guarani. So you have a little mixture there. Uh, but Guarani is considered so um, Paraguayan because it's the only country who has a native uh, language as official too. Mm-hmm. And so does that mean that um, are signs going to be in both languages? Are you sort of any services are then offered in both languages? Are, so does everybody speak both languages? Just, just so I kind of understand it better. I will say I'm not sure because I, I haven't checked lately, but more than 80% of Paraguayans speak Guarani. Why? Because they have to learn it at school, first of all, because of that. Mm-hmm. And second of all, of, of all, you learn it with your grandparents. I, when I was young, uh, we didn't have what I needed at school. So I learned it from my grandparents. So it has been passing on to each other, right? And now actually it's being taught at schools, which is very good because then people from the countryside have a, a more chance for an education and having both languages. So skipping a little bit, we'll come back a little bit, but but do your children then speak? Because you're married to a Spaniard. Uh, I imagine you speak Spanish at home. Do your children speak Guarani or not? Unfortunately, they don't anymore. It has been hard because uh, I have uh, books in Guarani too for them to go through. But for them, they, they were born in Brazil. That's another thing. Uh, our kids were not born in neither our country so they were born in brazil so then they started with a new language too and uh, they have been with english educated in english so it was very hard to go on with warani because warani is not alike to any other language i would say how is the Um, writing the writing sometimes it it, it sounds uh, like for example the h it's pronounced like in uh, English, ha. It's the same alphabet, except we have vowels with uh, nasals. We have all the same vowels with nasals. And the Y is considered a vowel. Mm-hmm. Would you mind so, giving us a few sentences or words? I'll tell you the waterfalls. Uh, big water. Uh, water, wasu, big, huge. Mm-hmm. So that's a good example. And then we say, uh, good morning. Um, uh, how are you doing this afternoon? And uh, to you, I'll say, uh, beautiful woman. Oh, thank you. <laughs> oh, that's, say that one more time. That's beautiful. 
Punyata y Pora. Saying, I love you. Rohaihu. So, so since you say I love you, so we already announced to the listeners that you met your husband and, and Lawrence. Uh, so when you told them you loved them, did you say it in Spanish or did you say it in Guarani? Oh, I said it in Spanish. <laughs> I said it in Spanish. <laughs> well, that's still our secret language, my family and me, you know, like when we don't want my husband to understand what we're saying, we switch to Guarani. That's still our little code language. <laughs> that's like me with Hungarian, right? I just, you know, all of a sudden just speak Hungarian. So... Okay, so let's let's go back to Lawrence. So you met uh, someone who spoke Spanish. Do you think it was important for you to marry, or did you know you'd marry someone who who was at least Spanish speaking? Well, actually, I never expected to meet my husband in Lawrence, Kansas. <laughs> uh, and what happened was that I finished my studies and I went back to Paraguay. Pedro was courageous enough to go after, to go after, and he went all the way to Paraguay to meet my family and uh, get to know where I'm from. And yeah, and after that, fortunately, he found a job very close because he moved to Brazil, just going back and forth, Brazil, Paraguay, since they are neighbor countries, uh, when we finally decided to get married. So your husband's mm -hmm. an aerospace engineer and he travels with his job quite a bit. And yes. but I, I remember your parents. I remember your parents and I remember Pedro's parents. I remember sort of you were already close. I remember that you showed your parents around in Lawrence together. I remember that being very beautiful. And again, the similarities between sort of my family culture, you know, you sort of very much involved the generations and and there's no my parents i don't know if you remember this my parents were always there for the parties they always came they left they left around 11 or you know sort of 11 30 but they were there for the beginning of the party they were always there <laughs> so so that and that just was so natural to me i know that a lot of my friends non non non-latino friends thought that was strange but it was just of course they were there. I had a party. Why shouldn't they be there? So, yeah, that's part of, yes, I can identify with that because uh, actually our parents went for a graduation. They met there in Lawrence and they, we, we were also very lucky because they got along very well together. Uh, well, the language is the first connection, of course. Uh -huh. But but them sharing things, being together, uh, traveling together, you know, it's not always easy to travel with people, you know. So everything just uh, went the right way, I think, and uh, they got along. And also very traditional, you know, like because of what you're saying, like uh, uh, religious people, traditional, still with all generations. So uh -huh. it, it comes all together. So you and your husband, so, so you moved to Brazil. Your children were born in Brazil. Where did you go after that? And we spent five years in Chile, in Santiago. The youngest one of my daughters, she was raised uh, in Chile. Uh -huh. And after Chile? After Chile, we went back to Brazil. So Brazil, it's, uh, we have a little piece of our heart with Brazil because uh, 
Our daughters were born there and we live in two different periods of time, total 13 years together, 13 in Brazil. Okay, so Paraguayan and, and Spaniard go to Brazil, have children there, move to Chile, move back to Brazil, and then move to Germany. Correct. So that was obviously the big change, even though for your husband, it's Europe. So he's European, Spanish. So tell me the differences there. Surely there are differences in feeling, you know, sort of, I, I mean, that's another thing with the podcast is this identity. And I'm sure you've heard of third culture kids, right? Uh, so, so your children are definitely third culture kids. My children are third culture kids. So, so, so how do your children identify, right? So their father is Spanish, you're Paraguayan. You, they were born in Brazil, raised in, in Chile and Brazil, and now they're living in, in, in Germany. How do you identify also as a family, but also your children focusing also on what are the differences or what was new for you in Chile and in Brazil? Let me tell you that moving from South America to Europe was not easy for my kids at the beginning. It was really hard for them to leave friends and to say goodbye. It's always hard, right? But just crossing the ocean for them, it was such a big deal because it was too far away for them. And it was like, when am, uh, are we going to get to see our friends and our family from Paraguay? So that was an issue at the beginning. We came to Germany and they started, the youngest started middle school and the oldest eighth grade. Here things are really different, started with the language. The language is not easy. German is not easy. Uh, they had German school. I started with German classes. Unfortunately, Pedro didn't have enough time because he started with it and then he couldn't continue. That was the first thing. Now, we have been really lucky because we have these wonderful neighbors that they taught us everything we need to know about Germany. <laughs> and starting with, you'll laugh at this, but starting with recycling. <laughs> I have learned that I have so many bees <laughs> to put there and recycle stuff that uh, I loved it. I loved it because I said, well, uh, how organized I like it and uh, I really like this way they they do things mm -hmm. and then our, our first Christmas that we went to Paraguay my parents uh, asked my daughters what is the thing you like the most about Germany and they said our freedom <laughs> our freedom because they were they felt so independent later on because they could go for walks they can get on their uh, Metro, the urban, Espan, and uh, go go around and be by themselves, and is very safe. That I could not say in South America. In South America, they have always been with adult supervision, and we always uh, being careful, safety wise. Unfortunately, that's the way it is in South America. That you have to sometimes be with. Uh, Close, live in close condos with the guards. And, and in Germany, that's totally different. Mm -hmm. But that was one of the things, you know, in Argentina, I, I, I loved Argentina and found it very beautiful. The landscape, incredible. Uh, the sort of possibilities also, some of the houses we were staying at and friends we were visiting and seeing how they were living. Oh, a dream, a dream, absolute dream. 
But the one thing, and, and it's exactly what you're mentioning, this, this sense of freedom, this sense of, well, already having to drive everywhere and not, not being able to just take a train or the bike or, you know, um, and also for children, that, that is true, that your children, I imagine, also went to school alone for, for after a certain age and they can go to sports and meet friends. And, and it's just this whole freedom of, of movement and, and safety. So absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so they came to appreciate that really, really much. And also they, they started like after a couple of months, they started making new friends, knowing the place. Now we ask them, do you want to move? And they say, no, we like it here. <laughs> So yeah, so are you going to move or do you think you'll stay in Germany? Can you imagine growing old in Germany? Uh, no, because I know we're moving. <laughs> I know we're moving. So we don't know where yet, but uh, for the time being, we're here in Germany and uh, we hope we can stay a little bit longer. And it's all, it, it all depends. But uh, fortunately for now, we, we know we're staying in Germany for a little longer, even though our oldest daughter is going to university. But uh, yes, we have to deal with that too. As a Latin mom, it's very hard to leave a little chick go. <laughs> Absolutely. And you, have, and you have daughters. So let's, let's talk about that for a second as well. You say as a Latin American mom, it is a little bit different. Your, your children leaving, you know, the relationship, the closeness, and you have daughters. So would you talk a little bit about the role of women or how women are or how, you know, the, the, the role of the woman in the family and the house and the marriage? and Well, that's funny that you're saying that because women in Latin America, they're usually the, even though men are supposed to go out and work, women still this is a stereotype too still expected to stay home and uh, take care of the house and raise the kids right and that's the usual stereotype but the latin moms we're very <laughs> we're very close and i would dare to say we want to control you know <laughs> the situation and be aware of everything you know and we think we can deal with everything which is not true. We have to let them learn and by mistakes or grow, growing up, maturing themselves, which is a big difference with European moms. You know? Here you can realize that they start from a very young age, you know, being independent and learning from their own mistakes. Mm-hmm. When uh, Latin moms, I think we are I don't know if somebody will agree with me, but uh, my opinion that uh, we are very close to our children, but we are like very, how would you say this, defending, you know, like always protecting, Uh protecting them. And uh, part of life is growing up and learning. So that's sometimes not so good for the kids, having a mom that is too protective. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and what about sort of you know what that's another thing with with Latin with Argentina. What how would you describe a Latin American woman? Because to me, and again, this is maybe just a false stereotype. Even to me, a Latin American woman cares quite a bit about what she looks like. Spends quite a bit of time being you know sort of primmed and proper. There's a lot of sort of of, of um, 
beautiful clothes, dressing nicely, a lot of sort of traditions and sort of, you know, in courtship and sort of relationship with men, there's a lot of like uh, rules and, and the way you behave. And I found in Argentina, that was different as well. Because I found that sort of women, and this, this I had an interview with one of our friends in Argentina, and she talked about la mujer in Argentina, right? So the woman in Argentina, and one of the things she said was, you know, Argentinian women tend to tend to wear less makeup. But for example, another thing that she said that I thought was really funny, they get a lot of breast operations. So breast augmentations, that's like the big, uh, I did not know this. That's a big uh, uh, plastic surgery in Argentina is to have enlarged breasts. So <laughs> can you shed some light on this from the Paraguayan and possibly Brazilian and Chilean side as well? Well, the perfect stereotype if you if you had seen this series is Modern Family with Sofia Vergara because that's the, the stereotype, you know, like being always well-dressed and wearing all this makeup, being loud, feeding the family a lot. <laughs> you know, that's another thing about women. You always want to feed people. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah, I will say that women in South America, they take care of themselves pretty much. Uh -huh. They want to look good and always dress, you know, properly and look nice. And yeah, the looks is, is an issue, you know, but I don't know how, how important the, the scale, how important this is. But uh, yes, women in Latin America do take care of their image. Uh -huh. Yes. And, and plastic surgeries and things? Because I thought Argentina and Brazil were the capital of, of plastic surgery. Yes, mostly. Uh, I'll say Brazil. I don't know about Argentina, but Brazil, I've been there. So yes, yes. Uh, really? A lot of, yes, a lot of plastic surgery. Everything. Uh, <laughs> well, mostly breast. Mostly breast, it's crazy. <laughs> because, you know, Argentina and Brazilian women are very curvy, you know, in general. And was this, was this the case in Chile? Because again, what I, I've never been to Chile. My, my sense of Chile, also from professors I've worked with here at the university, is a little bit more like Argentina. It's a little bit more focused on nature, on the natural, a lot of, you know, very much uh, a contact with uh, the, the Native American roots. Um, so, so is, do you, would you say that it was the same in Chile as, as a woman? Were, this, were the roles the same? And also with this sort of beauty ideals and things like that? Roles have been always changing and will always change. But um, I, I felt like in countries like Brazil and Argentina, they look much more this sense of image uh -huh, that in countries like Paraguay and Chile. Uh, they do too. I'm not saying we don't. But uh, it's a matter also, I think, of uh, population and big cities because it tends to change according where you live, you know, if it's a, a region and uh, if it's a big city and what the demands are, you know. And uh, yes, for the, this matter of uh, finding a husband and all that is pretty much, and this is a stereotype too, like the, the first look is what it counts, you know, then it comes the, the second part. So how is, do you think, I mean, how is courtship 
different. Now you see it also firsthand, possibly with your daughters, right? Sort of how is that sort of the relationship between men and women and how they get to know each other? Um, you know, in Germany, it's quite different. I think it's a lot more. Well, anyway, I would let you talk about that. Yeah, um, I'll say that in Latin American countries, in I'm talking again South America more because I know more about South America. It's a kind of more traditional and we still follow these traditions like uh, you go and visit your um, girlfriend and the parents are there. You greet everyone. Then you have a little time. You go out. Still very traditional. In, in Europe, it's like more you have more freedom. Uh-huh. You, you can get just uh, get together somewhere. But times have changed. Eh? I'm, I'm talking about my time. But you, you know, like I, I cannot say a thing like that, that. I'll go on a trip with my boyfriend for a week. You know, you're not expected to go with your boyfriend unless you are married. <laughs> well, I, you know, I spent quite a bit of time in Mexico and I spent it in Guadalajara living with a family. And there the there was a, it was a lovely family. They had three daughters. Um, and the, the oldest daughter was my age. So we were in our 20s and they were still all living at home. And the daughter had a serious boyfriend. They'd been together for five years or something like that. And they still could only meet at her house with some with an adult present. So, so <laughs> they did not meet. They literally, and I would ask her like, sort of, do you meet any other time? They're like, no, they'll kill us. I mean, so, so they would not meet except uh, when, Someone else yeah. was present. So, so very, you know, this, you're right, very traditional, right? So, mm-hmm. but times have changed. Now in Paraguay, I know that uh, the boyfriend can go and then they can go out and have some uh, dinner or ice cream, but they're supposed to be back by, by a certain time. I'm talking about my nieces too, you know, like how, how things are handled. Uh-huh. Yeah, I hear my daughters are totally different because they don't have boyfriends yet. But uh, my daughter will say, mom, I'm leaving at this time because I'm going to clubbing with this and this friend. I go, oh, really? And what time are you coming back? You just need to tell me what time you're coming back. Uh, also, we communicate through WhatsApp. The technology is really good for that. And she tells me, she lets me know where she is, what time she's coming back. And we were used to go and uh, pick her up. But here, transportation is so good and so safe that they come back usually all together, you know? So that's not an issue either. So that's why it's so different. Mm-hmm. It's so funny that you say that because I know that friends of mine in Hungary, uh, they have, I'm, I'm thinking of one friend who has a daughter who is 21. And whenever she goes out, the mom and dad, so my friend and her husband, go to dinner or, you know, also plan an activity somewhere near to where she is. I mean, they don't bother her or anything, but they plan an activity near to where she is. And then when she's done, she lets them know and they go pick her up and they all come back together. And it's just so that is how I was raised as well. I mean, you don't know this about me, but, you know, in high school, I wasn't allowed to go on dates. My, well, I could go, but my parents were literally in the row behind us. I mean, it's crazy. Or for example, uh, dinner, you know, I, I, they would have the table next to us. I mean, this was 
you know, growing up in, in Kansas with this, it was like unheard of, you know, it was, it was just very, very strange, but that's, that's how I grew up. So, I mean, yeah. you know, once I was in college there, I had quite a bit more freedom, although my father still had his spies. So, you know, my dad's a coach, <laughs> so he always had these athletes. I don't know where they were, you know, they were really, truly spies. And my father would say, so interesting last night you did this and this. And I would just be always mortified because he somehow always knew what I was doing. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, things have changed and you have to adapt, you know, because with our daughters, I, I totally have adapted myself because as a good Latin mom, you know, I'm not always in control, you know, of the situation. And well, she's 18 now and she tells me, mom, I'm going out with my friends, you know, and she lets me know at least. And I'm very thankful for that. She, she lets me know where she is, with who she is, what time she's coming back. And that's good. Having especially girls, because always something uh, taught we have, you know, you're a girl. You're not supposed to be even it's very safe. You're not supposed to be by yourself at night walking home. So again, this is a very traditional role of the girl, right? I actually think a lot of, I mean, I think my daughter would be really upset about that sort of, what? <laughs> I, I have to be in a group and my brother doesn't. So those are again, and do you think Latin America is still like that? In Latin America, because of these safety reasons, for sure. Mm -hmm. in South America. Mm -hmm. uh, here in Germany, probably not, but I'm a Latin mom and I've always, I, I, I moved from Brazil. In Brazil, they couldn't do anything without adult supervision. Uh -huh. um, simply because it was dangerous. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it was to protect them. And here, probably it's not necessary, but uh, I keep that with me. You know, I was raised like that too. <laughs> but that's the way it is I mean that's the truth I think in today's world we're like often afraid to say these things and it's like well it is the way it is okay so let's move on so you you studied education and English as a second language would you go into that a little bit as well because you raised children in different educational systems as well uh, that's one of the that's by the way the first Spanish episode in this season is on la educación in Argentina and I spoke to two school directors two school principals and they talked about education in in, uh, in Argentina so would you shed some light on that how you find that different in the different countries where you've lived mm -hmm. so the the main difference is that uh, when you have private uh, education which is a little bit better probably from a government education state education and i'll say that uh, in paraguay at least teachers need to be more motivated because they are not financially speaking that's the first thing uh, they need to be well paid to do a good job and with motivation you know and to be able to support themselves too, you know, that's one of the main things. And then also the educational system, like to be renewed, because we're always getting all systems that have been through other countries and sometimes have proved not to be uh, good enough. And we adapt this uh, system. For us, it has to be a very particular one because of bi the bilingual situation you know? and uh, that we need to uh, have the curriculum in both languages mm -hmm. and to impart education in both languages 
Mm-hmm. Now, not everybody uh, is willing to do uh, to learn Guarani, for example. Mm-hmm. But uh, because they always uh, people thinking, what am I going to do with this? It's all only useful here in Paraguay. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, another topic in, in Paraguayan education. Is Guarani actually helping, or is an interruption to the Spanish? Uh, education mm-hmm. and what do you think well i haven't been in paraguay for such a long time i've been out of the country for more than 20 years but i think if we have a good planned curriculum we can separate both kinds of teaching uh, we need just uh, well-prepared teachers mm-hmm. and also we have uh, an issue there with uh, going to the countryside because it's hard sometimes to get to certain regions of the country uh, to the children and to the schools. Mm-hmm. So uh, we need better support uh, to get teachers around the cities and the countryside to go to these faraway schools. Mm-hmm. Let's let's stay also a little bit with private and public education. I mean, it's always one of the conflicts or one of the problems or one of the issues in the U.S. as well. So, so yeah, how do you feel about, you know, uh, the development of private education in Latin America? Is it a good solution or does it actually interfere with the recognition on the part of the government to need to improve the governmental schools, the, the, the public schools? Improvement is always needed, and I would say that every country, according to their needs, they have to go go for their own educational plan. So what uh, you need to start with is a good group of teachers to think about what uh, children in Paraguay need uh, with the bilingual situation. So what we need, first of all, to start doing this is financial support. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes financial support is uh, possible sometimes it's not and it, it has to share in equal parts then you can probably have a solution but it's going to be a very slow one mm-hmm. because it's not always enough mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so you you studied education did you end up teaching did you have you have you taught in, in any of these countries I've taught in in some of them. I have been in the private sector because it has been international schools. I have uh, been able I have been able to teach in Brazil and in Paraguay too. And I've started now in Germany for a little bit. Uh, it's more volunteer work than actually working, but uh, it's nice to go back and see what what's new. How would you compare those experiences, you know, from the other side, you know, not as a parent or as a student, but from the teacher's point of view? Since these are international schools, they are very similar and they have very similar curriculum, which is good because then you don't feel that lost, you know. In closing, I'd like to maybe, I I asked my other guests this as well. How would you describe the different Latin American countries? You know, sort of if you had to describe... Paraguayans with one word, what would you say? Happy, positive. Happy. <laughs> po- ha- positive, happy. Okay. Brazilians. Samba. 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 Okay. Okay. 
Chile. Oh, uh, mountains. <laughs> mountains. Okay. Colombia. Beach. <laughs> Colombia, you still say with beach. Okay. Venezuela. Same thing. Venezuela. Same thing. Okay. Salsa. 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 Venezuela. Okay. Uh, Argentina. Mate. <laughs> mate. Mate. Okay. Uh, oh, Patagonia. Bolivia. Argentina, Patagonia. Uh-huh. Patagonia. Okay. Bolivia. Chaco. What is Chaco? It's a region that we share with Paraguay. Uh-huh. And, and how is it? It's like um, very dry. It's uh, for cattle racing. Uh-huh. And uh, yes, we share it with Paraguay. But Bolivian people, you know, I, I don't know much about Bolivian people. I've met very few because they are not that many either, like Paraguayan, you know, very. <laughs> because Paraguayan population is almost 7 million. That's what it is, you know. So, yeah. But Bolivia, I'll say I've never been to Bolivia, by the way. They are our neighbor country. I've never been there. Uh, but why? I've heard from Bolivia is more the most is the salar. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Uruguay. Uruguay. Oh, Rio de la Plata. Rio de la Plata. Okay. Um, and if me if we go into Central America more, are you gonna see more differences there? If we're going to Panama, if we go to Guatemala, if we go to the Central American countries. I think it's Central America more like nature, even though we have a lot of nature in South America. Central America, for me, I think of it is more like nature and, uh, you know, a very green forest, which is weird because in Brazil, you have the Amazon and you have a lot of nature too, you know. But it, it's interesting that you're asking me these questions. I've never thought of them. Like, uh, what you think of these? Like, when you think of, when you say Brazil, what is the first thing as, associated with Brazil? You know, uh, you're right. For for me, for example, is dance, samba. You know, the carnival. Uh, that's the first thing that comes to your to your yeah. mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes, and uh, now it's good because uh, those are the things that uh, when you when you think about it, they had an impact on you. You you think probably the scenery more than people sometimes. But then when you think about people, you, you go on and think about oh, which region we're talking about. Because even though Argentina is a big country, you, you notice that according to the region, uh, even the way to speak is different. And, you know, sort of the, the way this, this uh, season has shaped itself was I was going to conduct the interviews in Argentina. I was going to do, I had my microphone, I had my equipment. I was going to do the inter- interviews while we were traveling. But I loved it so much and we were having so much fun and we were interacting with people. You know, it was real, it was authentic. It was real moments. And also as a family, we were, you know, sort of spending this very serene family time together. So I didn't, I didn't conduct one single interview because I just said, I don't want to ruin the moment. And so I ended up afterwards, you know, sort of I took a lot of email addresses and sort of, you know, kept in touch with the people. And these, it's interesting what you say, because the episodes that I decided to do on Argentina are the things that marked me. So so my first one is this on education in Esquel, and that's just these friends we met. They're friends of friends that we met in, uh, in Esquel, 
these directors, these principals, school directors, and they were just, we were there for Christmas and they, we didn't, they didn't know us before and they just welcomed us along with this friend's brother. And it was just, I was so touched and they were so lovely and they were so welcoming and so warm and interesting and funny and their kids and, you know, sort of our kids, these five kids who did not speak a common language got along. And so I just had to do that interview. Then there was this one that I did this with, with Carol Jones, the lady who owns um, this Estancia in this national park. She just impressed me beyond belief. So the, the, the park was just so breathtaking and her horses and the way she dealt with her horses and her gauchos and the way they welcomed us, the generosity of, of the meal and the Oh, it was just also so so you know so it's these it is these moments that you have uh, that you that you experience. Um, of course, some of the things I can't do interviews with. For example, you talked about Brazil or or you know Iguazu. Uh, we had a taxi driver in uh, in in Iguazu who was again just these simple kindnesses. I won't go into detail, but. We had like this very weird crossing into Brazil and then we couldn't come back. And there was this taxi driver who helped us. Of course, I can't conduct a, an interview with him because I don't actually <laughs> have contact with him and I wouldn't even know really what to ask him really. But, you know, it's these moments that mark us. And, and you know, for example, for me, Colombia, you know, our friend Pepe, uh, who Jose Maria, right, who taught me how to salsa. I mean, you know, this is the man who sort of, you know, he was like, come on, you don't get the rhythm. This is the guy who sort of, you know, got me to feel the rhythm of the salsa. So for me, Colombia will forever be associated with that dance. <laughs> so so it's, it's really true that we, it's these experiences, landscapes, you know, foods, people we meet that mark us and that's mm -hmm. what we associate with each country. Hospitality is a big thing and making conversation, as I said, uh -huh. because uh, and foreigners, especially foreigners, they are always welcome and they can feel that warmth and they're going to be always uh, people welcoming you and trying to share things, even the taxi driver, as you said, uh -huh. because uh, it's interesting, but uh, the need for conversation is really big. Latin people, I think we cannot stay quiet. You know, we must say something. <laughs> so it, it is funny because sometimes, you know, you need to stay quiet in some occasions, you know, and this is, this is hard because even when you're in the taxi, they, they want to make conversation with you. And probably they'll ask you, ah, oh, where are you from? And what languages do you speak? Ah, oh, what are you doing here? You know, like just to make the conversation. So, Analia, it was really great to see you again and to catch up. Any last remarks you'd like to leave the listeners with? Well, I, I really enjoy this time sharing some part of our culture and traditions, especially in Paraguay, because Paraguay, I don't know if it's uh, such a non-country, non and I always like to uh, share uh, things that are done in Paraguay and things that are different and common with the other countries. I hope uh, the listeners got some interest in Paraguay and can visit or search and learn more about Paraguay. 
for sure, if they visit the country, they'll find what you said, all this hospitality and welcoming and uh, being uh, just friends and meeting new people. So yeah, that's what it is. Thank you so much for inviting me and sharing this part of our world. And I hope you keep doing this. I think it's great what you do and spread some uh, knowledge about all these regions in the world. Uh I don't know if you're going to go more than Latin America. We'll see. We'll see. That's the idea, right? I'm going to retire with this podcast. My my kids are telling me, you know, this. uh, think about it, mom. If you do this for like 20 years, just think about it. That'll be so cool. So. So maybe I will, you know, and then, then it will be really, really cool. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's great. It's great to get to know other places that you haven't been to and great to know about people and really the way they are, you know, and the way things are done. Mm-hmm. And also it's good for people to listen. So we need how, how we can improve, how we can become better uh, as people, as human beings. And also appreciating the nuances, appreciating our differences, accepting our differences, our different ways of thinking of different ways of, of, of doing things, allowing for these differences to trigger new thoughts, possibly to inspire us to change, but not necessarily, right? So I think it's, mm. it's this sharing, this true appreciation of each other's similarities and differences and, and difference. an acceptance of it. I think that's just so important. Yeah, totally agree. And I hope our kids grow up in this environment too, you know, like, yeah, actually, yeah, being respectful and in acceptance of all the similarities, differences that Anania, we live in. Thank you so much. Thank you, Henriette. It was a pleasure. Adios. Adios. <laughs>